Good morning. Glad you're here this morning. We are kicking off, or I am, I'm doing it. I'm kicking off the Christmas message series. And we're going to focus on the heart of the Christmas season. I, this, this is my, one of my, okay, they're, they're different. I love Easter. I love Christmas. Christmas is a little brighter. Easter is, has a much deeper meaning. But anyway, anyway, I don't know, I didn't intend to do this comparison. But uh, at, at any rate, one of my favorite times of the year, tied for top with Easter. <laughs> and uh, I used to be, I got a little grumpy there in, in midlife uh, about Christmas and all the stuff you have to get ready for. You know, I was busy and all that kind of stuff. But I, I'm through it now. I'm, I'm on the other side. I, I, I really enjoy it. It's, it's a time when Christ followers celebrate God stepping into our world in the person of Jesus Christ. And what, what an amazing event. E- even in the Christmas marketing, you can get a hint of what Christmas is all about uh, as the different marketers, different companies show how their products can provide comfort and joy. Uh, or, or both. Here's an ad from Coca-Cola. It says, savor the season. Explore the many ways to spread happiness with Coca-Cola this holiday season. We all want happiness. We all, mo- most of us want to spread it. Here's a McDonald's ad. Discover a world of irresistible flavors with our exciting range of delicious beverages and indulgent treats, full of those little somethings that help brighten your day. Ha, I, I, who wouldn't want a little something something? I, I, would, I, I would want a little something to brighten my day, you know, and it, it, it hearkens to may your dare, days be merry and bright. It's all tied together there nicely. We want our day to be brightened. But it's hard to find those little somethings in the midst of life, what's going on. This focus of brightening our day does go way back to the very first Christmas when God promised to bring comfort and joy against a very, back, uh, very dark backdrop. So that, that's what we're going to look at today. I, I don't know how, how it feels to you, but 2017 has been uh, one of those years that's had its fair share of rough happenings across the globe. You turn on the news or you read the headlines. Uh, there's no shortage of doom and gloom. In fact, I've, I've decided that I'm, if I'm ever going to watch news on TV, I record it so I can skip past all the tragic stuff. Uh, because, you know, I'm thinking I care about the stuff I can do something about. But as I see what's going on, I, I can't do anything about that stuff. It just revs me up for no reason so I, I if i do watch it i just jet past most of that stuff and um but but we've got to figure out a way to deal with the headlines you know what's going on in the world here here's a sample of the news from a few weeks ago the dredge reports a national website uh that shows what's going on you can't i'm sure you, i don't know if you can read that or not oh no that's the la times 
Um, the LA Times here, some of the headlines here are woman guilty in murder, school shooting, corruption in local government. Do we have the dredge report? Yeah, that's it. I, I, I don't think you can read that, but threefold increase in criminal leaks in government, swarm of earthquakes near the San Andreas Fault, another devastating school shooting, herbal supplement blamed for 36 days. It, it can be da- challenging to deal with the doom and gloom. But this is the backdrop for the Christmas celebration. This is the world we're in. And we'll see in a few moments, it's much like the backdrop of the very first Christmas. Uh, In this room, I'm sure there's a wide range of emotions. As we look forward to Christmas, as it approaches, I'm sure there's a wide range. There's some who are just skipping along, singing the songs. You know, eating the indulgent treats and really looking forward to it. Some may be unprepared and a little anxious, maybe even dread all the work that's got to, that's my midlife years. Um, some are ready for the break. You know, hey, I, I, it's, things slow down, looking forward to that. In this series, we're going to look at how God is continually painting a picture of a bright future. For those who will surrender their lives to him. This is what God does. He keeps painting a a bright future for those who will work with him. No matter how bleak it is. No matter how dark it is right now in your life. And all the things going on. Things going wrong. Hurts. Pain. No matter what. If you'll walk with God and work with him in the midst of your circumstances, you can find joy. That's the message of the first Christmas. And God is a God of vision. So he keeps painting this picture for us of what it will be like in the future as we follow him. In the next life, utopia. In this life, not so much. But as we, as we give our lives to live for his purpose, then we, we have hope. Because God, God's a, a God of vision. When he sees you and I, if you've decided to follow Christ, he, he doesn't see who you are now. He sees, he sees through the righteousness of Christ. And it's a gift he's given us as, as we've decided to follow him. He sees us through the righteousness of Christ, and he sees who you're becoming. He sees the final picture of who you're going to be. If you haven't decided to follow Christ yet, when he looks at you, he sees who you'll become if you decide to follow him. He, he hopes. He, he's trying to draw you in to follow him, to give your life to follow him. And the way he does this in the Bible is he keeps painting this picture of what it's going to be like in, in the future, in utopia, in heaven. And he, he does this in hopes of drawing us more and more to himself. So from the first to the last page of Scripture, God paints a bright future for his people. This is what he's doing in, in all the Scripture. The Bible shows basically we're living between two utopias. Uh, the first utopia existed when the world was created. It's described in the first two chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2. 
Our gracious God gave us everything that was needed, gave the first man and woman, the first couple, everything needed and more in a magnificent place called Eden. You, you can read the description for yourself if you'd like in Genesis 1 and 2. But in spite of enjoying this paradise that God had created, the first couple decided it wasn't enough for them and rebelled against the rule of God. And every one of us has stamped our approval to their decision. We'd have done the same thing. So Utopia 1.0, which is what we're living in, has been infected by that rebellion, by the sin of the first man and woman. This is our world that explains the mess that you read about. If you watch the news, what, what I skipped through, it explains what you read in the headlines. This, this is the mess that you read about and that you see in, in the world around us and that we experience at, at, a, at a level either surface or deep as we live, as we live our life. Uh, from that time forward, though, from the, the time theologians call that the fall, when man and woman rebelled against God, it's the fall. We got infected from, by sin. We were made in the image of God. We still have the, that, that image in us. It's been marred somewhat by sin. Uh, but all of creation fell. So now we experience the trouble that we do in the world. But at the center of the history of this planet, God has been working to redeem and restore the people and the planet so that we can enjoy Utopia 2.0, which is the second utopia. He's moving us toward the grand finale when he unveils the beauty of Utopia 2.0. Now, I don't know if heaven's ever been called Utopia 2.0, but I just decided to call it that for this message. (laughs) But it's being prepared for those who decide to make Jesus king. Most of the people on the planet aren't paying attention to God's work in history, but you can trace it through the pages of the Bible. You can see what he's doing. And you can see that he keeps painting this picture of a bright future for those who will decide to follow him. It's described beautifully in the last two chapters of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22. So you have first two chapters, last two chapters. They're like bookends. And they show us what God really wants for us. He he wants us to enjoy life. He wants us to enjoy Him. He wants to provide for us all that we need and more. And today, through the prophet Isaiah, we'll get a glimpse of the bright future God's preparing for Christ followers. And in this message series, uh, we're going to look at two passages from Isaiah that show us the bright future that are actually tied to the life of Jesus Christ. And so, we're, we're going to look at these because God keeps painting this picture. He keeps giving us a vision of the future so that we would trust him, so that we would have hope in him, and so that we could be drawn to follow him more and more and give more of our lives to him as we, we walk. So I'm going to walk through Isaiah 9, 1 through 7 this morning. 
And we're going to gaze into the bright future God paints for those who let him reign in their lives. Let's get started with Isaiah 9.1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Now, I'd like to do some explaining of what we just read there because he is painting an incredibly bright picture against the backdrop of the darkness that the people he's writing to uh, are experiencing. Um, at the time this was written, God's people mostly lived in Israel. He's addressing this passage here uh, to the northern part of Israel, whose citizens were in a terrible, horrendous time of gloom and anguish. Zebulun and Naphtali are tribal names for peoples who settled in the northern part of Israel. And there was gloom and anguish because they had been taken captive by the Assyrians in 722 B.C. They were taken captive, and and this is an understatement, these were nasty, nasty people. The Assyrians, nasty. You would not want to be taken captive by these people. And so this is who he's addressing. They they were in captivity, and against this dark backdrop that these folks were experiencing, the prophet paints a picture of the bright future God has planned. Here's what he says. In the future, he's going to make the way by the sea glorious. And the way by the sea was an international highway that ran through that area. But he's also talking about the fact that they're they were by the Sea of Galilee. They, these, these nations surrounded the Sea of Galilee. Uh, and in other words, he's going to make the sea glorious. The idea of that word there is he's going to honor it. He's going to bring honor to this part of the country that really was backwoods and considered like the part of Israel that you don't want to be from. That's the... That's the the, the deal with uh, Galilee, that area. The area was called by the derogatory phrase, Galilee of the Nations. And the reason it was called this is because God's people, the Hebrews in this region, were on the border of several pagan nations so that they related to pagan unbelievers on a, on a daily basis. And so this, this impacted them. Um, in addition to that, they were the most irreligious part of the country because they lived a long way from Jerusalem. So they, you know, they, the, the perspective was more that God lived in Jerusalem. God, you know, may not be paying attention to what's going on in Galilee. So out of sight, out of mind, we're not that religious. We're just going let it, to let it roll and see what happens. That was sort of their attitude. So many replaced serving God and worshiping God with superstition and worshiping idols. They were impacted by their, their pagan friends that they related to on a daily basis. Now, 
here's how God bestowed honor on this part of the country. And the fact that he gave this part of the country honor tells us something about the heart of God. It reveals some of his heart to us for people who are far from him. Matthew 4, 15 through 16 quotes Isaiah 9, 1 and 2. And it ties it to the life of Jesus and his ministry. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but he was raised in Galilee. He was known as a Galilean. And I don't know if you remember, but at one point somebody said, who, who, what, what good comes out of Nazareth? You know, that's where Jesus grew up. It was in Galilee. What, you know, it's like, hey, hey, that, that can't happen. Those are rough, rotten people out there. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, raised in Galilee, and this is where his ministry started in this area. So the God of the universe made a huge statement by growing up in the person of Jesus Christ in this area. This tells us that God loves irreligious people. It's not about religion for him. He loves the people who are far from him, and he goes to great lengths to connect with them. The self-righteous people of Jesus' day were constantly criticizing him for hanging out with the morally questioning people, questionable people in his world, and Jesus consistently rebuked them for criticizing him. And it turns out, these were his people. <laughs> these were the people he grew up with. And so he loved them. And so that's the honor that God bestowed on this northern part of Israel. This is great news at Christmas time. No matter how far you feel from God, no matter how far you are actually from God, Jesus reaches out to include you in his family. And he keeps reaching out to include you. This verse uncovers the identity of the Savior who would redeem the world. It's Jesus Christ, obviously. This is the kind of thing, though, that only God can do. So, in Isaiah 9, he, he predicts. He predicts that this, this person, this honor would be bestowed. And we're going to see some more details as we walk through the passage. He predicts hundreds of years before the events occur. This is something only God can pull that off. He, he gives the details to one man. He writes them down in a book hundred years ahead of time. And then the events occur in real time, in real life. And Jesus is the one. So this is one of the major evidences that Jesus Christ is really who he said he is. The, the amount of prophecies that he fulfilled is, is unbelievable and, and it's mathematically impossible for one person to fulfill all of the prophecies that he fulfilled. But that's major evidence that Jesus is God who he claimed to be. So let's keep digging in. Isaiah 9.2 The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep, deep darkness, on them light has shone. Now, I could unpack all kinds of stuff from this passage that shows the gifts we receive through Christmas 
but for the sake of time, and you'll probably be grateful for this, I'm going to mostly let the picturesque language of the passage speak for itself. But it says here, God shines the light in this dark region. It's gloomy because they're held captive by the Syrians. And it's, it's also a very dark place spiritually. You know, I, I don't know when you're in a dark place spiritually, you know, you, you know what goes on in your mind, what words come out of your mouth, and what things, kind of things you do. So this is going on in this area. Very, very dark region. This is where Jesus bursts onto the world scene. This is, this is where he becomes known. And, and deep darkness, this was originally written in Hebrew. Deep darkness doesn't really do the Hebrew word justice. The phrase is better translated, those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death. That's, that's really what it's saying. So death is casting a long and chilly shade over the land because of the captivity they're in both physically and spiritually. Jesus is the great light who steps into the world to bring life, to brighten things. And this is why lights are such a big deal at Christmas. Isaiah goes on, Isaiah 9.3. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. The, the picture here is this light brings joy. The kind of joy you experience when you have a major harvest. This is an agricultural society. They were farmers. So when there's a big harvest, when it's a good year in the crops, that's a time to celebrate. Or these, these folks had been in many, many wars and battles and fights with the nations around them. They were overtaken by the Assyrians. So this, this um, event that's happening here is going to bring joy like the celebration of a major victory in battle. That's the idea here. Kind, kind of like when a lifelong dream is realized or when we win the championship, we work to win. Why so much joy? Isaiah goes on to explain. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulders, the rod or for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. The joy flows because of the victory God brings. And this, this day of Midian is a reference to uh, a battle that God helped Gideon win with no one fighting. God did the fighting for the people of Israel. You can read about it in Judges 6 through 8, but don't have time to go into the story. Isaiah 9, 5. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle, tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for fire, because there's going to be no need for it. It's beginning to look, this, this passage is, now it's beginning to look forward to the reign of Jesus Christ, the reign of the Messiah, as he was spoken of in, in the Old Testament. In his kingdom, there will be no need for armor, so it's going to be used as fuel for the fire to warm the people that are in it. Isaiah is masterfully painting a picture of a bright future that comes to those who decide to follow Christ. He's showing how God's blessing increases for those who make Jesus king. 
Now, here, here's the reason for the victories and joy of the verses we've just walked through. For to us, a child is born. So now, now the picture that's being painted, the painting, the focus becomes on the child, on the person who's going to make all of this happen. For to us, a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now all of those titles make sense to us, possibly except for Everlasting Father. So Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, he's in the Trinity. He's the Son. Uh, but this word here in Hebrew means the originator, like Edison was the father of electricity. So the, he's the originator of eternal life. He's the one that brings it to us. So the prophet has given us a panoramic view of the region of the world where Jesus was, was born and how the light comes from there. And then his eye gets fixed on the birth of the child. And that's what we're celebrating at Christmas time. The child born is the focal point of the painting, and he's the focal point of history. He's at the center of our celebration of Christmas. He is the person, Jesus is the person on whom all of history turns. He goes on to describe what it will be like under this king's rule. Isaiah 9-7, Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. When Jesus stepped into the world in the region of Galilee, he proclaimed the kingdom of God he taught by word and example to show us what his kingdom would be like. If you decide to follow Christ, you experience peace. When you repent of your sin and you accept his death on the cross as payment for it, you have peace with God. You're forgiven by him. And as you set your heart to do his will and work with him, let him change you from the inside out, you become a peacemaker yourself. You, you experience peace regardless of your circumstances because God is working in you to do his work. You, you begin to experience a taste of Utopia 2.0, of heaven, as you surrender to his rule in each situation that you face. The joy of his kingdom increases as you surrender to his lordship more and more and set your heart to do his will. God is a God of vision. As I said, if, if you are a Christ follower, he looks at you, he sees you for who you're going to be in the next life. And he sees who you're becoming. Same thing if you're not following Christ, he sees who he wants you to become. He's trying to draw you in to follow him. He's a God of vision that constantly paints a picture of a bright future for those who do follow him. So what does this mean for us today? Here are a couple of questions I want to ask you to think through as I wrap up the message. First one, what are the major sources of gloom you need to trade for joy? 
Take a moment to think about what's weighing you down, the gloom you're facing right now. Maybe it's the headlines you read, but probably the things that are weighing you down are closer to home. Conflict in in an important relationship, a struggle at work, frustration there, a desire to help someone who's hurting but you're at loss as to how to help them. Gloom gives way to joy as you surrender yourself to be used for God's purpose, to do his will and to let him rule over your life. This is how joy comes, when you surrender to God. you got circumstances, they're dark. They, they could be really, really bad. But if you decide in the midst of those circumstances to let God use you for his purpose, he brings joy. If you make him king, if you make him Lord, and you say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my eye off of the part of this, the life scenario that I'm living right now. I'm going to take it off the part where I'm getting ripped off and... I'm going to put it on God and what he wants to do in me right, right here and now. Because Jesus stepped into our world at Christmas time. And if you follow Christ, he puts you in your area. He puts you in your family. He puts you at your work, in your neighborhood, among your friends to step into that scenario and be used by him. And that's where the joy comes from. The joy isn't going to come from... Being able to arrange the circumstances of your life so that it's really comfortable for, for you. That's not where the joy comes from. It comes from being used by God in the lives of other people. This is what we see in Jesus. And as we follow him, we experience that. The next question. What area of your life needs to come under Jesus' rule? Are you battling gloom in your marriage or in parenting? Maybe you glance at the future, it looks bleak. It's unsettling. Does your past keep attacking you from behind? When when you face the gloom, what do you do to cope with it? How do you how do you respond? Do you try to think better thoughts? Do you try to ignore it? Do you let it go? Do you turn to a friend for help? Uh, do you just get busy doing what you need to do? These can help temporarily, but the good news is you can you can trade your normal way of dealing with the gloom for a path to joy if you turn to God. Here, here's a prayer prayer of surrender that would be good to pray, and these words aren't the most important thing. It's the heart of the prayer that's the important thing, but you could pray this, Jesus I'm weighed down right now. I I can't see how this is going to turn out. I'm not quite sure. I've been trying to do things on my own power. If you have, then you, you pray that sincerely. I've been trying to do things on my own power. Will you help me trust you with whatever it is you're struggling through? I give the outcome to you, God. I I don't have to. My joy is not tied to having a certain outcome not realizing a certain result. But my joy is tied to you being used for your purpose and your kingdom. 
Instead of trying to do it alone, I turn to you for help, and I'm willing to do what you tell me to do. Now, I, I, have, I haven't prayed these exact words, but I wrestle and I wrestle and I wrestled with things in my life. And when I get to the point of surrender and turn those over to God, that's when the joy comes. It's, it's, it's unexplainable, really. Doesn't, it doesn't make any sense that in the worst of times, I can have the most joy, but I have. As the worst things were going on in my life, and you know, I haven't, I haven't had too many of those, but as I've faced them and surrendered to God, I've experienced real joy. I, I pray this kind of thing often. So... Keep trading gloom for joy by surrendering the outcomes of your life to the Lord and set your heart to do his will. There are so many opportunities every week for me, if not every day, to surrender outcomes to God and in the middle of circumstances to to wonder how it's going to turn out and just, you know, our our grandson, JB, he uh, he's had a cough. And so I have enough experience as a parent myself, and we, we know what goes on around us, but it's, 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 a, it's a sharp cough, and it's gone on for more longer than I think it should have, and so I just got to give it to God. I give that to God. That's where the joy comes. Boy, I'll just drive myself nuts if I worry about that. It'll just drive me crazy. When we were starting the church, New churches are incredibly vulnerable. And there are, you keep running into these spots where you're, okay, is it going to make it? You know, it's on life support. You know, give it CPR. And, and, and every time I would, I would go through this pattern where I, okay, what can I do to make this happen? What can I do to make it go? And, and then, and then I would realize, hey, I, it's beyond me. It's beyond my control. I've got to give it to you, God, and ask you to do whatever you want to do through it. Every time we face an obstacle, we must do the same. If it's in family life, if it's at work, if it's with friends, whatever it is, in ministry, maybe you're hitting a wall in some area. And the only way you're going to find joy is in surrender. It's the only way. Because life is beyond our control. But Jesus Christ stepped into our world to show us the path to joy. And it certainly wasn't a good outcome, was it, for him? Finally, yes, he resurrected from the dead. But boy, that was a that was a horrendous few days and week that he went through, and and just the rejection and the being despised. But this is an example of a prayer we can pray. Something like that to let go of our troubles, surrender to God's will, and that's where the joy comes from. That's where you're going to find peace and freedom in the midst of the gloom. As I wrap up this morning, I encourage you to think through a way to respond personally to the message. 
Uh, here, here are some next steps that I've suggested that you can consider taking. My next step today is to, the first one I've listed, for the first time, I accept Jesus as my Savior and commit to follow him as Lord. You could pray a prayer something like I had up there, but just, I give my life to you, God. I've been going my own way. I admit my sin. I'm turning from going my own way, and I'm going to give my life to you as Lord and boss from this day forward. I'm going to do that. I'm going to accept Jesus, what you've done on the cross is payment for my sin. I'm commit my life to follow you as Lord. So that's a first step. Second step, pray and ask Jesus for help with a specific area of gloom or gloom that I'm dealing with. That's another step. And then finally, attend the rest of the series. Invite a friend. Family Christmas is a great opportunity to include family and friends. And this is a great season to see what Jesus is all about, and why he came. So that, those are some steps I'm seeing. There may be others that God's led you to take as I've talked. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the way you help us, your grace, your kindness, that God, you, your mercy. You don't give us what we deserve, Father, but you, you continue to love us, pursue us, Paint the picture of a bright future for those who decide to follow you. Help us, God, to surrender to you and trust you with the things that we're concerned about as we walk through life. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.